it's basically this idea that we're very thoughtful and deliberate about our questions. On the answer side, we can have the same level of focus and thoughtfulness. And if we do, the outcome is greater influence. And that's really the goal of answers is to influence others. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. So my guest on today's episode of the Inspire Podcast is Dr. Brian Glubkowski. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bart. It's my pleasure to join you. Yeah, it's my pleasure to have you. I uh, I didn't think I would ever meet someone who uh, was more passionate about Q&A than me, but you are definitely that person, not only more passionate, but with far deeper uh, expertise, considering you've literally written the book on how to answer questions. So super excited to dig into this. You know, I think we talked about this in the prep that, you know, I've spent over 20 years working with executives on how to approach Q&A, how to answer Q&A. And uh, you have gone even deeper. You have you have really deconstructed uh, what kinds of answers there are and how to master them. So let me start by asking you, um, so tell us a bit about yourself. I know you're a prof, you've written a book. What's your background and what led you to uh, explore the science of answering questions? Yeah, so my background, I've been in and out of academia as a professor, a management professor, and I've been really focused on questions and answers in my research. And a, a funny aside, uh, in uh, academic circles, it, one of the common beliefs is that individuals tend to do research on things they're not good at. <laughs> so, so you know, I, I guess I like everyone else trying to uh, go on a journey to fix myself and uh, focus on communication. <laughs> but you know, you know, beyond that, a l- little background and why questions and answers. If I could, mm-hmm, you please. know, basically, I started doing research on questions, and that sounds very basic. And um, when I was doing this research on questions, I really thought of one thing, that we know a lot about questions. And if you think about it, going back to grade school, we know about the six WH questions, Mm -hmm. open and close questions, sales methodologies are based on questions, coaching methodologies based on questions, and I can go on and on. So I thought to myself, we know a lot about questions, but we don't know as much about answers. And it really hit me at one point that we had these typologies of questions, but no typologies of answers. Hmm. We don't know how many answer types there are. And I conducted some research with the top golf instructors in the world to develop this framework around six answer types, which I refer to as answer intelligence. And, um, you know, that's been my focus uh, for the last 10 years. Yeah. And I think it's really like I hadn't thought about it that way. But you're right, you know, everyone instinctively knows, you know, the who, why, what, where, you know, questions. We know how to ask great questions. But even the fact that you could potentially classify answers, I I don't think I'd ever heard that concept. 
So was it a concept that you went in with when you did your research as a hypothesis or was it something that you kind of said, oh my gosh, I've, I've come to this realization through my work? Yeah, it really was sort of a realization through the work. I had this, this intuition that I wanted to understand more about answers, but I didn't know what that would entail. Would that be a framework of, of answers? What exactly would we find? And through the research, sort of un- uncovered this framework, and um, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, let me give you an example. If you're prepping for a job interview, you know, you get advice to think of different questions that might be asked. Mm-hmm. And then it's sort of assumed you're going to provide the right answers. But if you have a framework of answers, you know, if someone provides a what question, you know, what's your number one skill, you can answer with what we call a concept or metaphor, you know, very distinct types of answers. So I might say, if you said, you know, you know, Brian, what's your number one skill? I might say, I'm a leader. Leadership is inspiring others and holding people accountable. Mm-hmm. That's the concept. And I could say as a metaphor, you know, imagine two ropes. Two ropes separate are strong, but when they're woven together, they're stronger. That's how I lead. Each meeting, I inspire and hold people Hmm. accountable. So it's basically this idea that we're very thoughtful and deliberate about our questions. On the answer side, we can have the same level of focus and thoughtfulness. And if we do, Mm -hmm. the outcome is greater influence. And that's really the goal of answers is to influence others. Yeah, and I I totally agree. I mean, I think that's that's why I was so excited to have you on because, you know, the work that I do and that we at the Humphrey Group do with leaders around Q&A is really approaching the Q&A process, not as kind of a passive information transfer, but really as an opportunity to influence and even inspire. And, and so I'd like to, to dig in. I know, you know, I've been reading your book and you have this great wheel with these six answer types. And I also know that you, as you said, you began arriving at this through your work with golf instructors. So Maybe you could just talk a bit about like why golf instructors, you know, and I know they were the top golf instructors and how that led you to create this six answer framework. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So we, again, we wanted to understand how answers are provided. Mm-hmm. So we studied the top golf instructors for two reasons. First, they were experts. So they were the top golf instructors is rated by golf digest and golf magazine and it, it put them in really the top 100 to 150 in their profession. There's over 25,000 golf instructors in the U.S. alone. So they were easily in the upper half of the 99th percentile. So that's important because whenever you study experts, you know, they're presumably doing things well and you can learn mm-hmm. sort of best practices. So that was the first point. The second point is that golf instructors were a very uh, interesting sample in that they taught a wide range of clients. Hmm. So you'd have golf instructors that taught touring pros you see on TV to weekend warriors to a young daughter, you know, maybe picking up golf clubs for the first time. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's important is there's no restriction of range. Hmm. So if you think of conversations you or I have in everyday life, there's a lot of asymmetries, asymmetries of knowledge, of interest. And if we learn from these golf instructors, we thought there was a, a higher likelihood the results would generalize to basically everyone else in the world. And so did you just say to them, hey, I want to know, like, I'm curious, did you call them up and say, I'm doing a research project and how you answer questions? And they said, sure. Like, what was the framing for this that led you led them to give you what you need? (laughs) 
Well, I did. We, we framed it a little bit broader and we're trying to understand communication. Uh, mm. So that's how we framed it. And we also didn't want to bias them. So mm. the questions were very non-biasing. We just want to understand how they did it and then report back to them. I mean, then, um, you know, that, so that was the goal mm-hmm. to not be biasing. But it was, the interesting thing was when we reported the results back to them, they said, yeah, I think that's me. I never thought about that. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that was sort of the summary from their perspective, you know, which I think is true. When you're great at sometimes, sometimes you're, you don't reflect right. on how you do it, so to speak. Right. Hmm. And so what did you find? So what we found were there were six answer types that they used. And, and I know we're going to go over these in, in more detail, but in brief, uh, story and metaphor, which we're all familiar with. Mm-hmm. Theory and concept, you know, concepts are ideas. Theory is the cause and effect relationship between concepts mm-hmm. and procedures and action to get things done. So we learn about these six answer types and map to different questions. Why, what, how, when, where, who. And we identified what we call five high EQ practices that they did that made them effective in what they did. Uh, and so those are the main findings. So, yeah, let's start with the six answers. So what were, what are the, and I'm assuming you're saying, you know, pretty much anyone who answers questions is using one of these six types. These are kind of a framework for all types of answers. Is that right? That's correct. Just like uh, the question types, why, what, where, when, who, how, those are general questions everyone uses. Mm -hmm. These are general answer types. And is it, I know we'll, we'll get into this later, but does everyone, do people have natural ones that they use more? Do, are these things that you should be able to do all six of? How, how should we think about these six types as we develop more awareness of how yeah. to answer? Yeah, I think, you know, the first thing is that answering is intuitive for most of us. So hmm. we, we, we provide all these answers, but we don't have a framework to organize our responses. So I think we tend to sort of gravitate towards and use similar answers. Right. So to your, to your point, for example, you, we all know a boss who always tells stories, right? right? Whenever there's opportunities of story or more generally, for example, doing uh, in, in the book, we have a chapter on brand AQ and this insurance company, Boston Mutual Life Insurance wanted to develop their brand and they went to ad agencies and Everything was focused on a story, right? But as the CEO of the insurance company said, their brand is much bigger than a story. You know, mm. their their customer service team needs procedures to implement. They need to connect with their business strategy. They they wanted more. Or another example is one of our partners is in the aviation industry, and he pointed out to me in the safety space there tends to be a preoccupation with procedures. Mm-hmm. Everything is proceduralized, you know, where they have manuals, there are 3000 pages. But as he pointed out, for example, when Sully landed on the Hudson river, it wasn't the procedures that saved him. It was his, the, the ideas he had, uh, concepts. It was also stories he had that in real time and matter of moments allowed him to be nimble. Hmm. So, you know, the answer is you want to use different answer types. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your, your last point is you asked, is it good to use all the answers? And we found that the expert communicators are the ones that do use all the answers. Mm. You know, they, they communicate fully 
and that's something that uh, everyone could could strive for. Right. So developing that awareness of these six concepts, six types of answers, and then being able to kind of flex makes you more effective. Exactly. Okay. So, so give me kind of the, and you've been, you gave me the great example on the story. Take me through each of the six or each of the five others and just kind of bring it to life for me and for people listening. Sure. Let's, let's start with a concept. So imagine we're all mentors in a room mm-hmm. and you've been asked to do mentoring and maybe I'm, I've come up and I'm going to do the mentoring training. So every one of us is going to have questions about mentoring. Mm-hmm. So you start with what is mentoring? So I need to be able to define mentoring. I could say mentoring is career support, social support, and role modeling, right? You have to have a sense of what it is so I can help you understand. Then you might think to yourself, well, I know what it is, but I want to know why it's important. Mm-hmm. And I could then articulate a, a theory or strategy. I could say, did you know that mentoring is important to mentor satisfaction? That when you mentor others, you get satisfaction yourself. And of course, mentoring is important to you know, men- mentee job performance. Mm-hmm. And of course, you don't want to make it so succinct, but basically I'm creating an argument that you hopefully will buy into. And then I could provide you an example of a story where someone else like you has done mentoring and they've got all this meaning out of it. I can discuss procedures. So with the example I gave about social support, you may say, well, I can understand social support, but how would I do that? And I could give you a procedure. I could talk about having an open door policy and talk mm-hmm. about the steps that would be required, you know, when you have your doors open and being flexible and how this might work in a virtual world. And, and then I could also talk about action. I could talk about, you know, high quality actions that make a mentor effective. I could provide a metaphor and explain that, you know, mentoring is, is like something very familiar to you. I could say, Mentoring is like a garden. Sometimes we plant hmm. things and they don't always grow. And that might be really important advice for a new mentor who's really excited, but you know, you got to understand the limits of mentoring. You know, so basically throughout one conversation, in this case of training, I can go through all six answers and give people a complete understanding of what mentoring is, how to do mentoring and why it's important. Yeah, that's that's super helpful. And I love that you had all six answer types with one individual conversation. I think it demonstrates that you you can and should, you know, be able to move into all of those. And I'm just looking at this image that you share with me. It's in your book as well. Uh, I think it's a great visual uh, with raise your AQ in the middle. And we should definitely we'll post a link to it in the uh, in the show notes for everyone listening. But when I look at it, I see why linked to theory and story, what linked to concept and metaphor, and how linked to procedure and action. And then vertically, you know, when and where can tie them. So am I inferring correctly that some of these answer types respond to certain questions that people ask? That's correct. So if you're thinking about a prescriptive framework you, you can use for any why question, There's two answer types, like you said, theory and story. For a what question, concept or metaphor, for a how question, procedure or action. So it really helps helps you organize your responses and think clearly about which responses are most appropriate. 
Now, what if you what if you break this rule? So I'm just thinking, someone says to you, "Okay, let's stay with the me- with the mentoring uh, topic." How do I set up a mentor, a successful mentor-mentee relationship? And you say, well, let me tell you a story of how I did it for my uh, when I mentored 10 years ago. So I know story is not an answer structure that, wor- that is linked to how. Does that mean that would work but be less effective or is it, would that not work at all? No, it, it, it could very well work. And it, the, the devil's in the detail. You know, it's a simple framework, but it's not simplistic. So the first thing to note is that when someone uses the questions why, what, or how, they may may or may not be using it in the technical sense that we have in the diagram that mm-hmm. you're going to show everyone. So like kindergartners, when they ask questions, they may ask how for everything. But as parents, we decipher that's a what question, a why question. So that's first is, you know, what's the real question? Then second, you, even if there's one question, you may, for example, in your example, it was a how question, how do I set up mentoring? But you, as someone providing the answer, maybe you feel that you want to go to a why answer first, a story mm-hmm. to set the context for how to do it. Mm. But I will say this, that if someone really wants to know how to do it and all you do is provide a why answer and just go to story, you could frustrate them right? because th- they might say to you, I'm not looking for a story. I want to know how to do this. Right. And in the book, uh, sort of to illustrate that point, imagine if you go to the movies to see the movie of Julia Child, you go there to see a story, right? Her life story. Mm-hmm. But imagine what would happen if you go there and all that happens is that recipes flash across the screen, <laughs> essentially like a big procedure. You might walk out. So the, the point here is understand which type of question they want, try to map it to the right answer, but then there's subtlety and there's flexibility about how you respond hmm. where you could use different answer types in combination. So I think this is a good segue to, you know, really what you teach, which is developing AQ. And, you know, I like, of course, IQ and EQ, and now you've got AQ, which, um, I mean, how would you define AQ, first of all, since it's your concept? Yeah. Yeah, I think answer intelligence is is the ability to answer important questions to influence others. Mm. So there, you notice there's a concept mm-hmm. answer there. I'm defining mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And uh, also... <laughs> yeah, you're, you're on trial, I, right, in these podcasts. You know, it, you're not <laughs> only sharing your, your content, but you're also being tested as to how you're using the framework. <laughs> it's true. You know, uh, yeah, I want to finish uh, answering this question with a metaphor and then give you a broader point about communication your listeners might appreciate. But in terms of a metaphor, how do I relate this to IQ and EQ? I think IQ and EQ are like the shaft of the spear. They provide direction and force, but the cutting edge is AQ. It's the answer. So unless you have answers, the IQ and the EQ do not provide influence. Hmm. So an example would be if I have high emotional intelligence, and, and someone, you know, tells me something they're despondent about, that's great. But unless I have that story to, to, to provide the answer, I, I can't make them feel better necessarily. So I think there's a relationship between these different types of intelligence that are consistent with the, the broader mm-hmm. emphasis on intelligence, multiple intelligences. You know, we talked about the three most impactful ways to begin to develop AQ for people listening. For myself, what would those steps be? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple simple steps. One, 
I would make myself aware of the framework. So there's six mm-hmm. answers, there's different questions. And sort of just become familiar with how questions and answers map. I think that's okay. a, sort of a foundation piece. Then second, I would focus on high AQ practice one, which is provide six answers. It's really understand six answers, provide the best answer. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is take an important topic for you and say you're a sales organization, say your company's value proposition and document six answers of how you would communicate hmm. that. And, you know, going through the exercise of mapping the answers is starting to stitch things together. And then you sort of have a little playbook, start to mm-hmm. use it, start to play with it, you know, see how it works. I think that's um, really the, the second point. And the third point I would say is you not only have to understand questions and answers as a framework, but you have to be a student of whatever it is you want to communicate. Hmm. So for example, these top golf instructors, they're talking about golf, but they're, they're also interested in, in physics. They're interested in psychology. And what did they do? They studied. And that's how they became experts. One of them had a library of 3,500 books. I'm not suggesting we have to have books, but the point is, you know, if you are a leader, then you should study leadership. You mm-hmm. should be thinking about metaphors of leadership, theories of leadership, procedures of leadership. And it, it's the, all those three things in combination, but really co- culminating with focusing on the substance that allows you to really pour yourself into your answers. And you're not just some mechanical, right. you know, wind up doll. You so can bring richness things. and texture to each of these, these, con- these six answer types then. Exactly. And, and just to punctuate that, I was uh, speaking today with one of our partners. He wrote a book and uh, he's an expert on teams. And one of the things we we're talking about was identifying metaphors he could connect with others. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about this and he came up with a couple. And he said, I'm not sure if I'm quite satisfied. And I said, well, you got to study whatever the metaphor is. So if your metaphor mm-hmm. you know, is about rockets, you need to read about rockets. You need to hmm. understand that, you know, during liftoffs, 2.7 million gallons of fuel are expelled. Right. And, and, you know, those are the kind of details that convey the beginning is important. So, you know, you have to be a, not only to say these answers, but mm-hmm. you have to know every piece of them. And that's how you communicate effectively at the highest level. Yeah, I love that. And then you know, I think what it does is it shows that what we're talking about here is not just, a, as you said, a robotic response, but really giving structure to the kind of texture and richness that you want to convey. So I, I think that's really powerful. And I love your three, you know, the understand the questions, almost like master that ability to, you know, have the questions, understand the, the you know, the answers and then become a real student. So l- let's just delve into each of those three a little bit, if you don't mind. And I want to start because I think in some of our early, with how you listen to questions, and I think that's so critical. And you mentioned earlier, I said, well, you know, here's a Someone asked me a how question, but you said, well, might it be a how question or might not be? So how do you master, I think the term you used was question recognition. Talk to me a bit about that. Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, we're distinguishing between natural language and technical language. So natural okay. language is what people verbalize. Again, it could be why, what, how, or something else. Words, but the technical framework is an AQ. There's hi, how what and why questions. And what is a how question? It's getting at practical knowledge. 
So you're, you know, mm. you're trying to decipher when someone's asking them, they, they want to know how to do it. They want to get their hands dirty. Then that, you know, that's that kind of question. So mm. one question is declarative knowledge. So we know this, you know, back in uh, textbooks, you think of definition, mm-hmm. right? You think of understanding an idea, concept. So that's a different type of knowledge. Um, and third, the why question is structural knowledge. It's sort of very abstract. It's mm-hmm. cause and effect. It's, it's sort of more complex. So what you're doing when you're listening to someone is you're trying to understand their motivation. You're listening to their questions in context, you know, and, and, and I would say, even though it sounds difficult, uh, in practice, it's not because there's just a lot of moving parts that help you understand. For example, let's imagine we're in a meeting and we're spending 15 minutes, you know, talking about, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of running some kind of program. Okay. Going back to your example, it could be a mentoring program. And then in that context, someone says, well, how do I, you know, how do I do mentoring? Or, or maybe it's clumsy. Or, or, you know, they may not be saying why, but you could sort of discern that they're, they're trying to get the big picture. Hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're saying, you know, I don't understand how we're doing this. You know, there mm-hmm. might be a cue for, I don't understand why we're doing this. Hmm. Um, and you, you just got to read their body language and realize they haven't bought into the big picture. Hmm. They don't know the why. I need to explain it. So you're really not, I mean, this is where the active listening Q&A becomes so important. What I'm taking away from what you're saying is, you know, you, you do want to get to the heart of this. Is this a why? Is this a what? Is this a how? But it's very rare that the person asking will just kind of give you a clean question, you know, and so you've got to listen and piece together not only actually the words, but the tone, the, you know, overarching uh, motivations of the person so you can understand what they're really asking. Is that accurate? That's accurate. And then you can also use other tricks like meta conversation. So if you what's a meta conversation? <laughs> so that's that's where I will use different tactics to in, understanding the framework and and, and uh, reading between the lines. So okay. if if you ask me a question, it could be how, what, or why. Mm-hmm. I can respond and say, "Would you like me to tell you a story? Would you like me to explain this, my strategic thinking? You know, mm-hmm. that's for theory." You know, do you want me to outline a couple steps, procedure? So you can give someone a carrot to then say, yes, that's what I want, or no, that's not mm-hmm. what I want. And usually that's very effective, um, regardless of the potential ambiguity, because someone will be, you know, usually pretty clear that if you say, you want me to tell you a story, they'll say, no, no, that's not what I want. I want to know, you know, right. how this works. And they say, oh, do you want to, I mean, let me lay out the steps for you. Let me out three simple steps. So with, Active listening plus also this, this meta conversation and guiding people in the conversation with what types of answers might be most appropriate. What you find in practice is once you know a little bit about AQ, to move someone around in a conversation and to get the conversation going in the right direction is not as difficult as it might sound mm-hmm. in the abstract. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, I think back to the Q&A prep and work I do with clients. You know, it's never the first question that all that becomes clear. Sometimes it takes you three, four or five questions. Yeah. Sometimes you, you have to pick up on the tone to really understand. And as you said, I like this concept of meta conversations, almost try different things to help the person define their thinking. Because I think there's often this belief in Q&A that the other person has like 
carefully scripted their their questions, almost like they're you know a trial lawyer. But the reality is it's so much more conversational and people need help in defining their thinking. So it's not just passive. What I'm taking away from your first point is mastering question recognition is almost like mastering helping the audience define their questions so that you can answer them. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I, I think it is fair. And when you're navigating the conversation, sir, to your point, you as someone maybe that understands asking questions, understands AQ, you understand both questions and answers. So you're helping steer it in the right direction. You know that if you ask a certain question, like a why question, which types of answers you might want to look for. You you know what a complete conversation might be. Mm-hmm. We talked about all six answers. Another rule of thumb is that a real conversation is like three answer types. Huh. Just like a GPS, you know, you triangulate mm-hmm. with three points. Mm-hmm. Think about it. If you go to the convenience store, you may ask, you know, where do I get the Snickers bar? Right. And they point, they give you an action, and you're done. That's not a real right. conversation. A real conversation is, you know, three in total. It could be story, metaphor, concept. It could be procedure, action, theory. When you go around and touch three points, you're starting to get a completeness. So that's a nice rule of thumb if you want to have a meaningful conversation with someone. So let's go to your second point, talking about answers. So you've said that it's really key to be able to flex into all six of these answer types. Do you think that going into, like, should you always prepare all six? And if so, or and if not, when should you? So maybe just talk a bit about that. Yeah. I'll relate this to some work with one of our partners who does improv communication. Mm-hmm. So they, their background is, uh, you know, Second City, improv. And, of course, when we think of improv, it's, you know, dynamic off the cuff. And um, as they share with me, there's basically two touchstones that relate to AQ. Okay. First, before they have any conversation on the stage, they prepare. They know their material. And, you know, that means knowing it broadly you never know which direction it's going to go. Mm-hmm. So you prepare one and two, there are rules that guide the conversation. In their case, there's rules like, um, yes. And mm-hmm. if someone says something, you say, yes. And you don't say yes, but because that will blunt the conversation. So in similar terms, if you know the rules of AQ, you know how to guide questions and answers. So that's improv. With that being said, I think there's nothing wrong with preparing six explicit answers ahead of time, particularly if you're less experienced mm-hmm. or the topic is particularly important. Like, you know, I'm doing a sales presentation and you know, our company's six value proposition points makes sense to prepare. Mm-hmm. But the most effective communicators are those that can pivot anywhere the conversation goes in any direction and you don't know where it's going to go. But that relies upon, you know, expertise, mm-hmm. being thoughtful and being aware so, hmm. for example, I went to a presentation and I was supposed to talk about employee engagement. So I studied all six answers and I was ready to go. And I got there and everyone looked, reading their body language, like sort of down. Hmm. I started talking about employee engagement. Ironically, and right ironically down. for the topic, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very ironic. Yeah. Yeah, multiple levels. It's an interesting story. Right. So. I start, I start talking and energy's down. So I pause because I, I, I'm aware of the nonverbals, right? Mm-hmm. And essentially a question. They're basically saying, why am I here? And um, 
basically they shared with me that they just had a week of employee engagement training and they were sick of it. Hmm. So at that point, I said, what topic do you want to talk about? And they, they chose something else, but I had to pivot in real time. In this case, you know, talk about different answers and, you know, theories and concepts and stories. I was able to do that on that occasion, but of course, there's other occasions when you try to pivot, even if it's subtle and you can't, but, you know, it's all a learning process and the best communicators, again, have this going down to the first foundation, they have a wealth of information they can draw upon to go in many, many different areas. And that makes make some interesting conversationalists. Totally. And I think, you know, it's totally consistent. I had someone on my podcast who was also improv, you know, and I've had um, our founder, Judith Humphrey, wrote a book called Impromptu. And it's the same thing, you know, the, to be spontaneous, you, you have to prepare to be spontaneous and so that you can throw it away. And I think, you know, if you look at sports too, right, you, you do all that work ahead of time, you build the muscle memory and then you can be in the moment. So I, I yeah, wonder if I could, yeah, go ahead, please. Can I just punctuate this point? Sure. With one other thing, we, I think we may have talked in our prep work. A recent uh, article from the Academy of Management looked at you know executives communicating to the street and public companies, and what they found was when they were scripted, they were effective to a certain extent, but those that used the unscripted approaches were more effective. So that gets that right. gets to you know that internalization and mastery of the knowledge. You have higher probably, you know, have higher potential for success, but potentially if you're unscripted, higher potential, mm-hmm. you know, for failure. So presumably those executives that were unscripted did so because they were comfortable and they knew they yes. could be effective. Yeah. And I think that's a really key point is that sometimes people equate the concept of unscripted with unprepared. And, you know, the, yeah. the scripting, you know, scripting gets a bad name because it's, it, it's synonymous with the idea of reading. And that is that is disengaging you you're focused on your words rather than your audience but the best performers whether they're in sport in film or in business do so much work ahead of time that they can be in the moment with their audience so yeah i think that's that's a great takeaway to get to um to get to that that level of audience engagement one more thing i want to tackle you mentioned it uh, i know you talked about the texture and the details but there's another concept that you brought up in our prep that I've really intrigued me that I'd love to, to get your take on. And it's it's around this idea of style. And you said that, um, you know, so you've got this these six types of answer. But you said, look, you just need to know your own style and your own limitations. So can you talk a bit more about what you mean there? Yes, I can. And it's going to be good for those that have access to the visual but there's, there's three styles. There's the, the red style, story and metaphor. So those answers create emotional experience, emotional connection and connect to experiences. The yellow style, analytical, is theory and concept. And the goal there is to explain and predict. It's analytical. And the blue answers are procedure and action. And those are practical. It's about getting things done. We call that the practical style. So these are clusters that, that relate to individual differences. So as we mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast, we all know the boss that likes to tell stories all the time. That person's probably relational. So the point of knowing your style is to know maybe what you're strong at and what your tendencies are. So lean in where appropriate if you're relational and tell stories and metaphors, but also realize you have to pull back for certain groups, like a very young junior group that's reporting to you junior individuals, they may be focused more on practical procedures and actions. So you have to be ready to go there. 
not just tell these long-winded stories. Mm-hmm. So with Answer with Style, it's one of the high IQ practices, high IQ practice four. It's about understanding your style. And then importantly, understanding the style of the other person. Hmm. So if I'm selling and someone, and this is a, here's a true example, one of our AQ partners was um, selling and there were two people in the audience. It was basically a meeting. Okay. There was the CEO and the CMO. The CEO had an analytical style. The CMO had a relational style. And that's chief marketing so officer? The, yeah, chief marketing officer. So therefore, you, when you're communicating to different people, you're thinking about which answers would work for them. So mm-hmm. regardless of the question being asked, why, what, or how, at a higher base rate, you might want to provide more stories or more concepts. Just to punctuate this idea, I'll give you an example from my book, um, Interview AQ, mm-hmm. and I coached uh, one of my students to get a job at a big four uh, accounting firm, and she, when she did it, before she went through every interview, she profiled the person she was hmm. meeting on LinkedIn, tried to determine their style, adjusted on the fly when necessary, but provided you know, answers consistent with her perceived style. And at the end of the day, she got the job and, and the firm said she was one of the best wow. communication candidates they've ever had. That's really cool. I mean, I'm looking at this and kind of instinctively, I think I'm a, I'm a blue, you know, which is the procedure in action. You know, I think about theories and concepts. I have much less interest and patience for them. So my last question for you, and then, you know, I'll, I'll be mindful and respectful of your time, but are the styles that we want to hear, in other words, the types of answers we want to hear the same as the ones we are most good at composing? Um, Yeah. Curious on that. Yeah. I would say probably not. Hmm. Um, although I don't have direct evidence on that, but I will say this in my book, I talk about, you know, stories and there's uh, Robert McKee. He's the famed screenwriting coach for some of the best screenwriters in the world. And one of the things he talks about in his book is that when we go to the movies, oftentimes it's sort of shocking that it seems like there's no good stories. It's like violence, sex, you know, right. uh, you know, special effects. And then he says, one may left, be maybe left feeling that that's the only necessary function of, of a movie and that you don't need good stories. What Robert McKee says is that's not true. He says, these are the best scripts available. These are the best stories we have. <laughs> and his point is sort of a cautionary tale that it's, we can't all be great storytellers. Right. And so from an AQ standpoint, we may love to go to the movies. But when we turn around and try to convey our own story, maybe it doesn't quite hit the mark. So I think it's very possible, although I don't know this, you know, definitively, I think it's possible we can, we could prefer one mode and actually not be effective in that mode in terms of receiving versus giving. And it's something I think to be aware of. I think it's a good hypothesis. And uh, who knows, maybe one positive effect will be more great Hollywood screenplays from people who read your book and, and put it into practice many years later. <laughs> one, <laughs> one can hope. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll have to go see another Michael Bay movie. <laughs> so just to wrap up, look, this is great. I mean, we could talk about this for hours and, you know, maybe we'll have to do something so that we can have a part two. But I really appreciate it. I mean, I think, you know, what I'm taking away from this uh, first is that story or that answers really um, deserve as much uh, 
awareness and prep as any other kind of communication that knowing the classifications are key and then building up the muscles in the areas that you don't have are key. And lastly, understanding your audience and what they want is key. So yeah, it's uh, it's really powerful. I mean, what, what would you say for someone listening who wants to get started on building their AQ? What would you advise them that they can start doing now um, to get going? Yeah, I think, you know, some simple steps you could, you could purchase the book. Uh, we'll put a link, put a link in the uh, show notes yeah. for it. It's, it's great. Yeah. And I think uh, you could go to our website, raise your AQ. There's a free explore AQ assessment. You can take with a 10 page report. So you can mm. get a lot of uh, what we've talked about today in sort of a PDF format that great. you can use and think about. So that's a great place to start. And uh, those are probably my, my two suggestions other than just, you know, thinking about and using AQ that we've already gone over. Yeah, it's uh, I'll we'll get a link to that, um, that PDF assessment as well. Uh, I think it's hugely important. Um, Q&A is I've always believed where people make their minds up. You know, you can do a 30 minute presentation, but it's in the Q&A whether they decide where they want to literally or, or metaphorically buy what you're selling. So this uh intellectual capital you developed is so cool i really appreciate you uh you doing the work and then that you came on the pod to talk about so thanks so much brian thank you bar it's my pleasure hope you enjoyed that conversation with dr glibkowski about how to thrive in q a i got a lot out of it as someone who works with executives and teams on how to handle Q&A, which I consider the most challenging interaction of all. So yeah, some really useful stuff in there. Next time on the pod, I welcome uh, Jackie Scales. And uh, Jackie is an executive at Tech Resources, where she heads up equity, inclusion, and diversity. And uh, she talks about the story and journey that they're on as a global mining company to bring more equity in the business that operates in so many jurisdictions around the world different cultures, different levels of understanding. And uh, it's a great story about how to uh, how to lead globally in this important area. So join me next time for my conversation with Jackie Scales.